Welcome to the second of four parts of this roundtable discussion with the faculty of the Educational Initiative, Emerging Treatment Options for the Reversal of Oral Anticoagulant Therapy. These podcasts were produced by ASHP Advantage and supported by an educational grant from CSL Bering. In part two, Dr. Edith Nutescu discusses issues related to laboratory assays with Drs. William Dager and James Kalis. You're raising an interesting concept on reaching a certain INR to get the patient ready for the OR. So what if the patient is not on warfarin, it's on one of the novel oral anticoagulants? What type of assays would apply in that case? And how would we then get the patient ready, you know, from that perspective, you know, look at, looking at alternate assays? What are your thoughts on that? Well, when they roll in and they come into ED, I think the first part is hopefully that you're taking the information we're giving you and not wait till it happens, but think upfront if it does happen, what are we going to do? How is our system going to um, deal with this so there's not a lot of hype and energy put into something where it's, you're able to actually clearly think, we've thought this out and here's what we're going to do. The first thing is you have to look at what assays do you have in your institution? What tools are available? And probably the, for dabigatran, one of the assays that will tell you whether the drug is there or not is a thrombantine. But I think the other thing before you go grasping at these assays is do a good medication reconciliation. Find out more about your patient. What are they on? When was the t- last time they took a dose? Now, thrombantine is very sensitive to dabigatran. So even at small concentrations of dabigatran, it'll be elevated. But as far as quantitating, it's so sensitive that even at normal ranges, uh, it's going to be super high, and it's hard to, to say exactly how high the thrombin time is relative to how much dabigatran is present. So it's more of a yes or no kind of test to use. Then with dabigatran, the APTT is a little bit more sensitive than the INR, but you should be kind of aware that there's different reagents and how does your reagent uh, set up Unfortunately, with the direct throm inhibitors, as a general class, the APTT can plateau as the concentration rises, uh, challenging the ability of that test to really quantitate what's going on. But when you see an elevated thrombin time and an elevated PTT, now you have two tests that are kind of confirming each other. Uh, The INR, uh, not quite as sensitive, and uh, you can see that INR elevate uh, it, the point-of-care INR is different than a central lab. So you have to be very careful when you look at when we say an INR. But in the central lab in, in setting, uh, generally most patients are in the target range, and you try to avoid peak levels. So if they, your medication history says that they just took their dabigatran, you may have a higher value than if it's been six, seven, eight hours. But generally INRs that are elevated, and there's no other reason but if they're a big bleed and if they're hemi-diluted, that INR is going to be elevated. So there's a lot of times with these large bleeds that other factors present. It tells you that there might be drug present as well. There are some novel assessments of diluted thrombin times or ecarin clotting times that are being explored as far as the ability to quantitate the dabigatran. But most centers don't have those yet and we're not sure exactly how to employ those into practice. But I think that there's going to be more insights on those tests down the line. 
so for dabigatran, that's what you would think about, as well as eyes on the patient at the bedside. See what's mm-hmm. going on. I find it's easier to coordinate these cares at the bedside and get the labs necessary and also get the process going. Uh, another thing I would probably definitely try to underline exclamation point is that if you're going to do these therapies, can you get it to the patient sooner or later? And one of the examples is dialysis. So in a large academic center, even for us, it's amazing how long it takes to get the dialysis to the patient. And how can you expedite it? Do they do dialysis in your ED? The other factor is if you're a a community, a small community hospital, and you don't have dialysis available, and that's one of the treatments we know that can remove dabigatran out of the system, who does? Who can handle this, and how do I get the patient there? And think about this. When the patient's being transferred to a center that does this, have you communicated the information so that when the patient arrives in the ED or wherever the dialysis is going to happen, that they're aware and prepared in advance instead of reconstructing this whole process the minute they see the patient. I think that, combined with the labs, are, are ways to at least look at this. For rivaroxabam, the INR is a more sensitive test than the APTT, and also there's some looking at chromogenic factor 10A assays. But there's other issues at play there that you should consider when you're trying to look at these, and whether it's a yes-no question, but quantitating levels, I think we still have a lot more work to do with these approaches. Jimmy, what is your approach at your institution with these essays for the novel agents? You know, this is a controversial topic, and, you know, having such limited data and, and really no clear guidance, it's interesting to see, you know, the approaches we take, you know, at, at various institutions. The key points that Bill mentioned is that figure out what you're going to do before it happens. And our approach has been we don't want the second-year medical resident making this decision in the middle of the night. We want to have a group of local experts, if, if we have nothing better, to um, kind of lay out this, these are the steps we follow, including what the monitoring parameters are, when those bonding parameters should be obtained, and then also provide a little bit of guidance as to what they mean. Some of the, the points that, that Bill mentioned related to you know, the validity of the, the data that you get from these tests. One thing that we have done recently is we've added one of the laboratory directors to our anticoagulation subcommittee. And so in creating our institutional guidelines, we had some insight from the laboratory side, not only on some of the background related to the test, but also why or why not we can't have these types of tests. Or in, and in some cases, we've been able to educate our laboratory staff as to the clinical need for these tests and, and maybe encourage some changes in the lab practice as well because I think we, we tend to operate in some silos. We, we've got the drug side and we've got the lab side and it's a good way to kind of bring everybody together and try and accomplish the same goal and that's provide the right care for the right patient. And I also we talked about the test for the drug but also the test for the patient mm-hmm. and look at their CBC, their hemoglobin, hematocrits because you're going to want to have baseline values and you're going to be assessing the bleeding and trying to manage and treating that. So try not to be tunnel vision on the drug mm-hmm. as much as you focus in on what the patient's doing. I definitely agree with both of you. And, you know, our biggest challenge at my institution is provider education on the limitations of these tests, that these are 
merely qualitative tests and not quantitative tests. So there's this tendency, you know, based on how we've been trained to monitor heparin and warfarin to try to quantitate. And so, you know, going back to your INR comment on having a certain INR before surgery. So there's this tendency of wanting to have a certain pinpointed number before a procedure intervention. And so I think, you know, that's, you know, one of our major educational challenges in assuring that there's understanding on the limitations and proper usage of this test. So our anticoagulation task force has initiated a series of grand rounds and C programs to the hospital, again, to, to try to uh, disseminate this message so hopefully, you know, providers are more comfortable uh, with ordering, again, appropriately these tests. Yeah, and also use your informatics system because mm -hmm. there's a group of people that may convene and come up with ideas, but it's important that that information get disseminated to all the folks working in the trench and they can easily access it and know where to get it. This concludes this part of the roundtable discussion. If you'd like to hear more about the reversal of oral anticoagulant therapy, please listen to the other three parts of this podcast series. In addition, a web-based continuing pharmacy education activity based on the Mid-Year Symposium will be available in mid-February 2013. To access this activity and other educational opportunities on this topic, visit the web portal at www.ashpadvantage.com forward slash reversal.